Thank you, guys. That all-encompassing guys, guys and girls. That was wonderful. I'm, uh, it's so d delightful to have these young people leading us. It's just, uh, you know, look forward to the day we pass the keys over to them, and we're starting to do some of that now. And it's, it's, uh, it's great to have all these young people involved and, and leading us in, in uh, drawing our hearts to the Lord in worship. So let's uh, take a moment, if we could, and turn to the Lord and, and let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for all that we have in Christ, more than conquerors. It's amazing. The life we have in him, it's amazing. We sang, how marvelous, how wonderful my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. It is amazing when we think that the God of heaven would send his son to die for sinners to meet our greatest need. And we just thank you for that. We thank you that you've preserved your word and we have, we have it here in our hands and we're able to look into it and it guides us. Even though these words that we're going to read this morning have been written thousands of years ago, they're as relevant right now in 2017 as in the day they were written. In fact, some of them even more so because these words have been fulfilled and we look back in history and see where it's happened. I pray as we look into your word this morning that you would speak to our hearts and you would change us and, and grow us in the way that we need to grow. If there's anyone here this morning who has never come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that they are still not knowing him as their savior, or that they would put their trust in him this morning, that they would learn of him more, and that they would come to trust him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what in the world do we do? We're here, we're in the world, and what do we do? Do we, there, I, read a, I read recently of a group that folks, they call themselves believers and, and they um, want to reach people in the world, obviously, to, to come to be saved and to know the Lord, but they are so into themselves that they, they refuse to even eat with a, a person who's not a believer. This really exists. Um, they call themselves brethren, I, I, I'm not so sure. But if you were to call one of them up and say, look, I, I notice every week you pull out of your yard and you, and you drive off somewhere with a Bible under your arm and, and I need to know about this. I, I've prepared a lunch. Will you come over and talk to me over lunch? They won't do that because they, they, they feel that they should not eat with somebody who does not share what they have. I'd say, well, you know, you've disengaged from the world. You've, you've, you've lost what you're supposed to be doing. This really exists, and it's growing. And I hate to say it, but it's, it, it, it's in the UK right now, and there are groups within North America that are going down that road. So that's one way we can do it. We can say, well, let's escape the world. Let's just shut it out, go inside, shut the doors, pull down the blinds, and insulate ourselves away from it. Or we can engage the world. We can roll up our sleeves, and we can get involved, and... We can get involved in the lives of people or we can speak up when we're asked to do so by God. 
It's easy to be silent and, and just kind of watch the world go by and criticize it, but we can really, we can speak up and make a difference. We're looking in Daniel, and if you turn with me, please, to Daniel chapter 2, we're going to continue in our study. You see, the Bible tells us that when we speak up, when we witness, we are giving the message of the only hope for this world. As much as you may have enjoyed the inauguration the other day, the only hope for this world is not Donald Trump. I don't want to disappoint you. And if you went to the town hall that happened around here, it's, it's not Justin Trudeau. That is not the only hope for this world. That is not hope at all for this world. Those are men. The only hope is found in God and in the Lord Jesus. And we are told to speak up and to speak out the truth and to tell the world. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, giving to every man an answer for the hope that is in you, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, with, yet with gentleness and reverence. You know, um, there it is. Just to, just to kind of tell you where we've been in the book of Daniel, the last time King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was having a sleepless night. He was tossing and turning in his bed. And he was having a dream. And then he came up with a challenge to all his men in the courtroom. He said, all right, come on in. I know the way you guys always work. You always tell me what my dream means. This time, tell me what the dream was. <laughs> uh, sorry, king, we can't do that. We just don't have the tools. Well, then Daniel, who was going to be killed because all these guys who couldn't tell the dream were going to be killed. Daniel says, moment please, let me speak to God. And he goes to God. God reveals the dream to him. That's a summary of the, first, of the last message. So now we come to this message, and Daniel now, we left Daniel at the point where he says, aha, I know what your dream is, and I'm going to tell you. So Daniel, who could have been silent, who could have said, I'm not a Babylonian, I have nothing to do with this, leave me out of this, I'm, come on, I'm a Jew, leave me alone. But instead he chose to speak up, he chose to speak for God, and to give an answer, as we're told in 1 Peter. You know, here's something that's interesting. Um, I kind of came across this the other day. You know when John F. Kennedy died, one of, the, one of the first memories I ever have as a kid is watching in 1963 John F. Kennedy's funeral on TV. I was four years old at the time, and I remember watching this funeral on TV and, and asking my mother all kinds of questions about it. So... Um, I, in fact, I, I think I've introduced you to my little teddy bear that I have that was bought on the day that JFK was shot. But when that happened, it took the world two to three hours to get the news that the president was shot and killed in Dallas. Two to three hours. When his son, John Jr., was killed in a plane crash in 1999, it took two to three minutes for the news to get around the world. Okay, what's the point? Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And there's a huge chunk of this world who has never heard that news. In 2,000 years, that news has not gone to everybody in the world. So who's going to speak up? Who's going to tell them? Well, let's look at this. Is one of the quotes that I 
came across, Oswald J. Smith said this, he said, the church that doesn't evangelize will fossilize. And do you know what a fossil is? It's a dead thing that's never coming back to life. It's so dead that it's cast in stone. It's not just lying in a morgue, it's dead, it's buried, it's, it's never, it's, it actually turned to stone. So the church that does not go out and reach out to people and does not evangelize will eventually fossilize. There's all kinds of fossils around town. There's all kinds of fossils. And I don't mean fossils in rocks. I mean churches that are fossils around town here and around this province and around this country and around this land. There's all kinds of them, many of them. If you want to go fossil hunting, you don't have to go very far to find that. They don't bring the message of Jesus Christ to people. And they don't grow. They die. Now, here's where it gets scary, and you guys have the benefit of a sermon that is to the preacher, not, to, not necessarily to you, and that's kind of good when the preacher's preaching to himself, because this, this really was convicting for me. Individuals that don't share the hope of Christ will be relegated to fossil status. See, there's no such thing as secret agent Christianity. There's no such thing as silent Christianity. Jesus talked about hiding your light under a bushel. He said, let your lights shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. A secret disciple is an oxymoron. There's no such thing. You can't be secret and a disciple. You can't be a disciple and have it a secret. See, eventually what will happen is the, uh, the discipleship will demolish the secrecy. Or the secrecy will demolish the discipleship and it won't exist, and you become a fossil. So, I want to challenge you this morning from, from what we're reading here, and what we study today, that we would dare to speak up and to speak out for Jesus Christ. Daniel speaks out to King Nebuchadnezzar, and it's all about that dream that he was having. And it's all about world-governing empires, and it's like what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, and we'll see it, it's like a time machine. I love time machines. When I was a kid, I used to like love shows that had time machines that you could travel backwards or forwards. Still don't know why we're not riding around on pods going from planet to planet. But anyway, it was kind of cool because by the time 2000 came, we were supposed to have those things, and I'm not sure why we were supposed to be living with the Jetsons. But uh, I, I loved things with time machines. So, what, so his dream was like a time machine. Like he's seeing this, this statue that turns out to be not the history, but the future of the world displayed before him. Some of the book of Daniel is history, some of it is prophecy, but what I've found is all of it is practical, and that's a good thing. So the first thing that we see is that Daniel spoke out with authority. Let's read. Daniel chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch. Now, if you remember back, Arioch was the head bodyguard for King Nebuchadnezzar, whom the king appointed to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. He went and he spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurried and brought Daniel to the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man. Actually, that's a lie because Daniel went to him. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make this interpretation known to the king. And the king said to Daniel, whose name, or Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen and the interpretation? Now, I want you to notice the confidence of Daniel here. He says, I will, in verse 24. I will go and tell the king. I'll declare the interpretation. In verse 36, he says, this is, and we will. I mean, he's very sure about this. And then in verse 45, he says, 
The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Do you know why Daniel had this confidence? He had this confidence because he heard it from God. He had the word of God. That's why he had great confidence. Back in the, uh, in the uh, early days of Billy Graham's ministry, he, he was doing crusades all over the world and filling stadiums, and, and he came to Dallas, Texas, and night after night he filled this big stadium. 70,000 people were coming out to hear him. And in the following days, one of the newspapers in Texas decided to run an article uh, about the events with Billy Graham. And, and he, the journalist wrote this. He said, how could a young man without any seminary education draw such a crowd of people when some of the highly educated and robed downtown ministers preached to half-filled churches on Sunday mornings? And the journalist answered his own question. He said, it's because Billy Graham preaches the Bible. He has a note of authority in his message, thus saith the Lord. Billy Graham always did, and he always has had that. You can almost hear him saying, and the Bible says, and he'll say it again, and the Bible says, and I, I mean, I can, I can just hear him saying that over and over again. He has great confidence. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but Billy Graham always spoke with great confidence. Why? Because he's speaking the Word of God. He's speaking the Bible. And I, don't, I don't know if you saw the inauguration the other day, but the thing that I, I, I felt like standing up and cheering my face off was when Franklin Graham came out after the inauguration. And here's what he read. 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 1. First of all, I urge you, I urge that entreaties and all prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. I thought he read that to millions and millions and millions of people around the world. Awesome. That was so awesome. And if nothing else, the election of Donald Trump brought that moment when everybody in the world who watched that program got to hear that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. If that's the only reason Donald Trump was elected, then praise God. Because that was the gospel, and it went out to every single person who watched that program. That's a little off topic. Let's come back. So the Bible says... Thus says the Lord. You know, the prophets say that 415 times in the Old Testament. Thus says the Lord. Jesus Christ had the same ring of authority when it says that the crowd marveled when he spoke as one having authority, not like the scribes. And then the followers of Christ, those disciples who came afterwards, and in the book of Acts we read in the, uh, the early church that they spoke with boldness, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Stephen, the first martyr, the one who was stoned to death for his faith, in chapter 6 it says he was, was filled with spirit and wisdom as he spoke. They had confidence because they're speaking the word of God, the very words of God. So we can speak up with confidence, just like Daniel. We know that we have the word of God in our hands. We know that it is correct. We know that it is right. It is sure. It is true. It is the word of God. It's not arrogance. It's confidence. There's a difference. We believe the word of God is alive. The word of God is powerful, is alive, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierces, penetrates between the soul and the spirit. It reveals the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
Hebrews chapter 4. So we speak with authority, but not with arrogance and confidence. Secondly, Daniel spoke with humility. Here's Daniel comes in before the king. Now he could have easily promoted himself. I mean, Arioch had no problem doing that. He even said, I found a man. Arioch, see where I, where I work, there's a railway track that runs right underneath my window. And cars and trucks on Wright Avenue up in Burnside here. Cars and trucks go over that track all day long. Uh, all day long it's thump, 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 thump. But do you know what really just gets me rattled right under my seat? An empty truck. Empty trucks make the most noise. Ariok was an empty truck. <laughs> there was nothing there, and he was just making the most noise here. There was nothing to him, no substance. Humility, humility will make a hard message softer. If we're going to speak with authority, we need to have humility. If you have authority without humility, you're arrogant, and you need a mixture of humility and authority. We have the authority of the Word of God. If you have integrity and if you have humility, your message will have some substance to the person you're speaking to. So how do you have humility when you're, listening, when you're witnessing to somebody? What are some of the things you can do to have humility? Well, first of all, be humble. But the second thing is listen to them once in a while. Listen to what the other person has to say. Don't come and, and open up a fire hose on them and say, Hey, you're thirsty? <laughs> have a drink. You don't just jam it down their throat. You just don't just force it on them. You listen to what the person said. Listen to what their questions are. Listen to their concerns. Find out about the person. What's going on in their life? And we'll talk about that a little later on, but, but you need to be humble. And, and it's not about you and your message. It's about them. You're trying to reach them with the gospel. Don't point to yourself. Point to Christ. Point to God. Point to Him. The third thing he spoke, and, and I'll, I'll spend a little bit of time on this, he speaks with great accuracy. You know, the interesting thing is, what Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar here, this stuff actually happened. He, he talked about this hundreds and hundreds of years before the events actually happened, and he said, this is, what's, this is what I saw, this is what's gonna happen. And you know what? It actually happened. So he spoke with great accuracy. Gives them great credibility. That's why we keep the book of Daniel in the scriptures. Verse uh, 31. Daniel says this, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue was large and of extraordinary splendor. It was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. California prophet, right? Awesome, man. <laughs> Big statue. And he said, the head of the... The head of the statue was made of fine gold, and the breast and its arms of silver, and the belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you continued looking at it until a stone cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on the feet of iron and of clay and crushed them. And then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed, all at the same time became like chaff in the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, can you imagine Nebuchadnezzar at this point in time? I'm sure his jaw dropped. I'm sure he just sat there and said, whoa, that's exactly right. Like, now, just think for a minute. If, if 
Clyde came up to me and said, oh man, I had the weirdest dream last night. And I said, yeah, I know. And your dream was this, and 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 this. And you're saying, Clyde looks at me and says, that is more detail than I remember, and you're 100% right. Now, wouldn't you be surprised by that? Wouldn't you, like, your jaw would just drop? I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar just sat there and said, whoa, whoa, that's exactly it. It's interesting because a couple things about the statue that he saw. First, he saw a statue. God prepared this dream for him. A statue? Why a statue? Well, Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian. Babylonians had many gods. God spoke to him the language that he understood. A statue, an idol. Hmm. They had them all over. They had 13 deities, and they had statues of them all over the place. They had these, these little pyramid-like things, and they had their idols on top of them. So God says, I'm going to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to show him exactly what he's familiar with. A big statue, a big idol. Babylon was the capital of idolatry. The second thing was an image of a man. He's speaking of the times of the Gentiles. He's speaking of, of the kingdoms of man. It was not an image of something strange, heavenly, or anything else. It was a, it was a, it was a, a statue of, of something that was, that was familiar. And the third thing is, this statue was top-heavy. And I, I put a little picture of it up there. A little bit of Dave Hansen stuff in here, specific gravity. Um, so here's the thing about it. It was top-heavy. The statue was top-heavy. And you probably can't see that because it's very small numbers. But it looked great on my screen in front of me yesterday. So... The head was made of gold. Gold has a specific gravity of 19. Silver, 11. Bronze, 8.5. And iron, 7.8. Do you know what I mean by specific gravity? Okay. Quick, quick example. Quick example. I have a container, and I put water in it, and it weighs 100 pounds. All right? The specific gravity of water is 1. Just so you know, that's, 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 the, that's the pull of gravity on that one thing of water. Okay, so water is one. That's the base. Gold is 19 times heavier. So those pirate things where you see pirates carrying a big chest with gold in it and burying it in Oak Island and they're trying to find it now, totally false because two men would never, ever, 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 ever be able to even lift a wooden crate with 19,000 pounds of, of gold in it. So gold is 19 times heavier than water. So its specific gravity is 19. Silver is lighter, and it's, it's 11. And then as you go down through the whole thing. The whole point of all of that chemistry lesson and, is that this statue is top-heavy. It is top-heavy. It's like all of the kingdoms of men. They're top-heavy. And what's also interesting about it is they decrease in value from the top to the bottom. But they increase in strength. As you go down the statue, silver is stronger than gold. Bronze is stronger than silver. Iron is definitely stronger than bronze. Well, Chelsea disagrees, but <laughs> she's yeah, mechanical engineering stuff. <laughs> but, but, but as you see, it goes, it, it, it's decreasing in value and, decre and increasing in strength. And if you look at what this is speaking of, in the next slide, the top, he says, you are the king, you king are the head of gold. So he's speaking, let's read this here. This was the dream, and we will now tell the interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. 
to whom the Lord of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And uh, i got to go over here a little bit. And uh, wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is probably thinking, wow, that's cool. I'm the head of gold. After you, there will rise another kingdom inferior to you, and then the third kingdom of bronze, and then, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, and as much as iron crushes and shatters all things, like iron, breaks, like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these into pieces. I guess that's why it's stronger, right? Because it's going to break the other ones up. Um, and, in, and in that you saw feet of toe and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, and it will have the toughness of iron in as much as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly of pottery, and some of the kingdoms will be strong, and part of it will be brittle. In that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine together in one seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. So what's interesting is Nebuchadnezzar is called the head of gold. He's the world-governing empire at the time. Uh, Babylon was known as the city of gold. And, and one of the historians, Herodotus, when he went to Babylon, this is just a few years after this, is, um, he, he said, this city has more gold than any other city I've seen in my life. Everything was covered with gold leaf. Nebuchadnezzar reigned there until 539 B.C. And then following that, there was a coalition of, of Medes and Persians, a Medo-Persian empire, Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. They came in and took over. What's interesting is Darius demanded that the captives pay tribute in silver. It was a kingdom that was focused on silver. And then finally, after that, in, in, or not finally, but later after that, Alexander the Great, in, uh, imagine calling yourself the Great. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not humble. <laughs> Alexander the Great, in 334 BC, took over the Medo-Persian Empire and the world, and he was just a young man, and he was known, they were actually known as the brazen-coated Greeks, bronze they wore bronze on their, on, their, um, on their armor. Following that, we see the legs of iron, Rome. It's a description that fits Rome. It operated like an iron steamroller. Legs, the longest part of the statue, the longest ruling era. Rome lasted almost 1,000 years. Babylon, 70 years. And then Rome split into two, an eastern and western kingdom. And in, uh, 395, in 395 AD, and became weakened, it became brittle. And now we come to the bottom part of it, ten toes, divided nations. Hmm. That would be us. We live in the land and in the time of divided nations. Nations against nations. People looking out for themselves. There is no one empire ruling the world as much as the Americans say that... The, their new president has the greatest influence on earth and blah, 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 blah. You know what? It's, and I apologize, we do have a couple of folks visiting us from the States <laughs> when, when I say that, but, but, uh, but it's true. It's true. We do not have a world empire since the Roman Empire. We've had superpowers, but they're all fragmented. They all hate each other. They're all divided. They're all, they try to come together, but they, but they don't. So I'm not going to go into all of this conjecture of what that is. People say it's the Catholic Church. People say it's the European Union. People say it's this, it's that, it's blah, 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 blah. Don't know. Don't care. All I know is it's 
a description that's fitting to the day in which we're living. Now, what's really, really cool is what's going to happen next. And this is the next thing to happen on our calendar because we are currently, I believe, in the divided nations of the feet that are mixed of clay and iron. So, almost like a sci-fi movie, a stone cut out of heaven will come. All the kingdoms of earth will stop when this stone comes from heaven to earth. All of the kingdoms. It doesn't matter whether it's iron, it doesn't matter whether it's bronze, it doesn't matter whether it's gold, clay, or silver. It will all be crushed. It will all be like a fine powder. It will all be swept away. So who or what is the stone that we're talking about here? It's Christ. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, God says, He will lay a stone in Zion. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, tried stone, precious cornerstone. Whoever believes in him will not be ashamed. Whoever believes in what? In him will not be ashamed. The stone is a person. This stone, as Matthew uh, chapter 21, Jesus Christ says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Jesus Christ is speaking of himself. He is coming to set up his kingdom. So here's this, all the kingdoms of the world displayed in this one statue, all the kingdoms of the world, from Nebuchadnezzar's day on, displayed in this big statue. This stone, not cut out with human hands, rolls down from heaven, smashes it into so many small, tiny little pieces that are swept away like it's wheat, and then the stone turns into a large mountain called an everlasting kingdom. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is coming again, and he will reign and he will rule forever on this earth. There will be no more kingdoms of man when he comes. Praise God. God controls history. I'm so happy when I read these things and I think God is the one that's in control. I look at the world around us. I look at some of the, the foolish stuff that goes on. I look at what we go through in our country, what America goes through in their country, what goes on in Europe. When You've got ISIS, you've got terrorism, you've got all of these things going on in the world. But God rules. God controls. God will have the final say and God will have the final kingdom. Praise Him. The kingdoms that are will become the kingdoms that were. You know, a lot of people are doubtful and they say, well, yeah, okay, pretty cool and kind of coincidental all this happened, but I really don't believe that Jesus is going to come back. Well, that's really too bad. I mean, it, it's, it's going to happen. So why would you say when all of these other things have come true exactly as predicted, exactly, that this one part that hasn't happened yet isn't going to happen? I look at this passage and say, this is one of the passages of Scripture I look to and say, this proves the Bible to be true. This proves the Word of God to be true in so many ways. When I read this, I can say with confidence, this is the Word of God. Because everything that was said here, ahead of time, was fulfilled. You know, even in the book of Isaiah, Cyrus was called out as the one who would release the captives from Babylon. That was 500 years before he was even born. I look at truths like that and think, how can I not trust the Bible? It's so true. It's, it's, it's proven itself over and over and over again. Finally, in all of this, Daniel speaks with victory. Here's this pagan king 
This is, this is amazing to me. This pagan king comes, it says in verse 46, Then Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering of fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods, a Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. The king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him a ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all of the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. This pagan king comes and kneels before Daniel and says, your God is the God. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing. God can break the heart of the hardest person. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about speaking out the truth. If Daniel had not spoken out the truth, that would not have happened. Daniel spoke the truth clearly, and this man repented. Now, as weak or strong or whatever his confession of faith was at this point in time, he did come to a point where he believed that the God of heaven was the God of heaven. Daniel is promoted, and Daniel has victory. Daniel not only has his own life spared, all of those magicians, astrologers, and so on that were going to be killed had their lives spared. And Daniel's friends are now promoted. All right, let's apply this to, to you and I. So that's great for, for long ago and far away. Right now, for us, how can I speak up? How can I bring myself to speak up? Now, you know, you look at people here. They're passing out tracts on the street. They're talking to people with the Bible open. They're teaching a Sunday school class. They're going door to door. They're having friendship and speaking about Christ. And, and a couple things I want you to know. First of all, we know the truth of the Bible. We know the truth of the Word of God. We've just proven it. These things that have happened, that were said and prophesied have happened. So we don't have to be afraid. You have the truth, the truth of God. We have no apology for that, and, we, and there's no reason to be afraid. Secondly, and I want to, I want to call this out, because well, first of all, let's go back to the truth. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. That's a great truth. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I hope if you're here this morning, you have believed. But can you echo that? Can you say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know this is the power of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, the second thing is not everybody is wired for door-to-door -door witnessing. Uh, I had friends that used to go door-to-door. -door. Uh, this is when I was a new believer. And uh, I went with them. And I remember going door-to-door. -door. Uh, I grew up in, uh, in Sydney at the uh, Sydney version of what they affectionately call Jelly Bean Square down the, down the road here. And so rows of houses in, a, in housing development. And that's, that's where I grew up. And so I knew everybody in there. And I went to this church and they said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we just went in there and went door to door? Just like they're all, everybody's living in this one place. And I'm thinking, oh boy, that's where I lived. That's where I grew up. Uh, can't say that. Um, okay, uh, yeah, let's go. And I'd stand at the back as we were coming up to, you know, we're paired up and coming up to a door and I'd say, please don't let anybody be home. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> and that was my door-to-door -door witnessing. I realized I'm not really wired for this. So not everybody is. And I just, I just want to say that not everybody is, is wired for street evangelism. 
you met John Wells, he's wired, hardwired for street evangelism. Some of us are kind of coming along a little bit in the boat, but, but not everybody is. And I want to I understand, if, if you don't feel like you need to go down on the streets and, and proclaim, that's okay. But you do have a responsibility. You do have a responsibility somewhere. It might not be door to door and it might not be on the streets. So you have to get out of your comfort zone. It is very uncomfortable for me. I actually, you know what, here's my comfort zone. If I want to talk about the gospel, I'm right here in my comfort zone, right here. Hide behind this thing. And it's so easy from here, believe it or not. Some people would, now I know that people say they would rather be in the casket than give the eulogy, but because public speaking is not their thing. But it's so much easier in here, in a church, with people who will smile at you and nod and so on and, and, and support you and so on. But you go and you watch John Wells or you go watch Kirk or you watch somebody at work who tries to say something and they get ridiculed off the face of the earth, it is not easy. And I know that's not, and it's not comfortable. But we are called to do it. We are called to bring that message. And there's two things that I want to tell you, and, it's, and I'm closing with this, believe it or not, I'm closing and it's only five after 12 and the guys told me yesterday in the men's study I'd go to 20 after if I wanted to. <laughs> First of all, we need to care. If you don't care, about the countless people that walk by, or the people that you work with, or the people next door, or the people in your family who are lost and are going to go to hell if they do not come to Jesus Christ, you will not share. You need to care about people. You need to care about lost people. You need to understand that those who trust Christ will spend eternity with him in heaven, and those who refuse Christ will drop into hell. And that should motivate you to care about people. Those people that are in your office have a soul. Those people that live next door to you have an eternal soul that will go on forever. And you need to care. Jesus came and he wept over Jerusalem. He wept over the city. He wept over the people. Why? He saw them as sheep lost without a shepherd. As soon as you notice people who are lost and you realize that they are lost, you will have pity, you will have compassion, and you will want to reach them. And then, here's the hardest part, you need to share. Well, how do I share? Well, you open your mouth and say something. Really? Yeah, you do, you open your mouth and say something. And here's an example. You can come right up and you can just flat out say, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ? Can I talk to you about the gospel? Have you ever heard the gospel? I mean, I've, I've seen people do that, that's not me. Or sometimes you can have, I don't have any here, but a little tract and say, listen, I'd like to talk to you about something, but this says it way better than I ever could. Would you take that? Or even, <clears throat> did you get one of these? <laughs> Believe it or not, even that works. Somehow, share the gospel. Open your mouth and say something. What do you say? Tell your personal story. Tell how you came to Christ. Tell what the difference is in your life, what happened in your life. Invite them to come to church. Hey, listen, I go to a really cool church, and if you want to come and, like, we sing, and, and, like, you know what? You'll learn way more about what I'm all about if you come there. I can't explain it to you that well, but if you come, you'll, you'll learn about it there. Okay. Give them a Christian music CD. I have a friend who's just so into music, and I said, really? He said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm kind of into, you know, more. Here, I'll tell you what. You're into guitar. Listen to, listen to Phil Keggy, world's best guitarist ever, ever, ever. And you always put in there, you know, a couple of good Phil Keggy gospel songs. And, 
And then they come back and say, that was absolutely awesome. Where'd you get this? Who is this guy? And you get a conversation going. Um, give them a, a DVD on creation. Give them a book. Give them a tract. Share the news. It's good news. It's great news. It needs to be shared. People need to know. They need to be told. And if they're not told, they're lost. And they will be lost forever. That's really hard. And I, I'm thinking about this message all this week. And I, I'll tell you, I'll just gonna close with two stories. One is personal. It happened this week. I'm driving home from New Glasgow, and I have this person I've never met before in my life, and a very odd duck is the best way to describe him. But he was a very unusual man from Palm Beach, Palm Springs, rather, California. And we're driving in my car, trying to get to know each other, and he's asked me all about Nova Scotia and where I'm from and you know, my roots and blah, 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 and I'm same with him, small talk. And then I realized as we're talking, I said, wow, you've traveled, he's all over the world, and he's seen this and he's seen that and so on. And we started talking about the things he's seen in the world. And he said, it's awful when you go to places and it's like rows and rows of factories and it's, people are treated like less than, less than cattle. And, so, and I thought, okay, I'm going to preach on Sunday on open your mouth and say something. Open your mouth and say something. Open your mouth and say something. Would you like a coffee? <laughs> and I said, you know, I don't know I said, okay, you know what, I have, to t I have to say something here. And I said, I don't know what you believe. And I had a very small chance to share with him that if you take God out of your life, if you dismiss God from your nation, if you dismiss God altogether and you go down the route of an atheist, you're headed to where these people are, where people are treated like cattle, where people are treated like less than this. And he turned to me, this is, now we're at the airport and I'm dropping him off, he turned to me and he said, that was the greatest conversation I think I've ever had. He said, I've got a two-year-old, and I'm really running a lot of this stuff through my mind, and I don't know what to think. Now, I'm hoping that that seed will be watered by somebody else in California or wherever it might be. But it's as simple as that. Just open your mouth and say something. Pass them a track. Do something. I'm going to close with a true story. 1949, long, long time ago. But Mark Sawatsky thinks that I still remember things from 1949, but I assure you I, was, I wasn't born at that point in time. <laughs> this man's name is John Currier, and he was convicted of murder, sentenced to life in prison. Well, eventually he was paroled to do work on a work firm near Nashville, Tennessee, and he worked in hard labor until 1968. They don't do that so much now, but back then they would take prisoners and they would put them out into hard labor. I mean, just digging ditches and doing all kinds of stuff like that. So here's this man... He's out there working. His case was looked at again, and the case was then terminated. He was a free man. A letter was written to John at the work camp, a letter which he never got, the message of freedom that he never read. He worked on that work camp for another 10 years of hard labor. Here he is, he's a free man. The letter said so, and he didn't know about it. How would you feel if the most important message that you could ever hear year after year after year, failed to be delivered to you. God has a message of freedom. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to die on a cross to forgive you of all of your sins. And if nobody ever told you that, you would never know that you can be free. Let's not be the ones who keep our mouth shut. Let's not be the ones who don't speak up. So I want to challenge you today to speak up. Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, Matthew 
513. And what he was saying, you really imply you and you only are the salt of the earth. You and you only are the light of the world. If the world doesn't see or hear it from you, they will not see it and they will not hear it. So speak up. Father, thank you this morning. And all of us who were here and know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know him because somebody dared to speak up. Someone told us the good news. Father, we have such powerful news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Father, may we share that powerful message with somebody this week. Help us just to open our mouth and say something. It may not be eloquent, it may not be fancy, it may not be anything that we think is great, but if we pray, and we need to pray before we even say, but help us to come before you and say, Lord, I don't know who the person is you want me to speak to, and I don't know what it is you want me to say, but help me to find that person and help me to say something. My neighbor, my loved one, my brother, my sister, my mother, my father, my cousin, my coworker, my fellow student, whatever it might be, cashier at the store, just a random person on the street, help me to open my mouth and to say something. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.